place in prayer, asking God to meet with us. Our Father in heaven, we do indeed give you praise with thanksgiving for your gracious goodness to us, mm. that you provide all of our needs, our daily bread, but even more that our transgressions have been blotted out, and because of our Lord Jesus became sin for us, that we Amen. You be seated. So I, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 23 with me. The burden of Tyre. Once again, um, a Gentile nation. We learn a little bit about God's timing, something to put in your hermeneutical pipe and smoke it, is that uh, he says, in that day, he speaks of in verse uh, 15, and your first thought might be literally, well, that there will be a one day when this comes to pass, but he says, in that day, and then in that verse, we will see that 70 years uh, will pass, so uh, we can't always take the day <clears throat> literally, of course. What's important to know, though, is that there is a day, and that all <clears throat> man is coming to, coming to, and it will be a day of wailing for those who are outside of Christ, and a day of great joy for those who are in, and Appropriately, this prophecy is bookended by that very thing, a call to wailing or howling, if you are a King Jameser. Um, verse 1, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for um, it is destroyed without house, without harbor. And then verse 14, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your strong defense is destroyed. That which man is trusting in will be destroyed. You know, we read in uh, Ecclesiastes, I believe it was, maybe Proverbs, that money, I guess it was Proverbs, money is a defense. And so man has this tendency to trust in his money, which with which we buy uh, all sorts of things for our food, raiment, clothing, uh, housing, and our military might. We depend on money for that, and so we can be deceived into thinking that that is uh, our strength or our defense. But that will be destroyed. 
those who trust in that and do not trust in Yahweh of hosts. And so a very simple question and answer in verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> who has counseled this? Who has determined that this day, there would be a day of judgment? And the, verse 9 uh, gives us that answer. It's Yahweh of hosts. The burden of Tyre concerning Tyre, wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed without house or harbor. It is revealed to them from the land of Cyprus. Be silent, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, your messengers crossed the sea and were on many waters. The grain of Shihor, the harvest of the Nile, was her revenue, and she was the nation's gain. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea speaks, the strong defense of the sea, saying, I have neither travailed nor given birth. I have neither brought up choice men nor reared virgins. When the report reaches Egypt, they will be in travail at the report of Tyre. Pass over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coastland. Again, in the middle of the prophecy as well on both ends, we have a call to wailing. Verse 7, is this your exultant city whose origin is from days of old, whose feet used to lead her to sojourn in distant places? Who has counseled this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns? Whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? Yahweh of hosts has counseled it to defile the pride of all beauty, to make contemptuous all the honored of the earth. Overflow your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more restraint. He has stretched his hand out over the sea. He has made the kingdoms tremble. Yahweh has given a command concerning Canaan to demolish its strong defenses. So he said, You shall exult no more, O crushed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, pass over to Cyprus. Even there you will find no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people who was not. Assyria established it for desert creatures. They erected their siege towers. They stripped its palaces. They made it a ruin. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your strong defense is destroyed. Now, it will be in that day that Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Take your harp, walk about the city, O forgotten harlot. Pluck the strings skillfully, sing many songs that you may be remembered. And it will be at the end of 70 years that Yahweh will visit Tyre. Then she will go back to her harlot's wages and will play the harlot with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. And her gain and her harlot's wages will be set apart to Yahweh. It will not be treasured up or hoarded, but her gain will become sufficient food and choice attire for those who inhabit the presence of Yahweh. Before we open the word, take the hymns of grace, turning to 416 in the hymns of grace, I need thee every hour, 416. 
stand together as we sing. Corinthians chapters 13. Let me begin reading at verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. 
and is not jealous, love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, and it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so we began this morning considering what would be the fourth and fifth uh, character of genuine love. It does not brag and it is not arrogant. And we consider together the definition of these two terms, but at the end of the day we can say that the two terms point us to the very proud individual, the person who is full of self, or at least put self forward, promote self, focus upon self, and his, his interest is in self. He is a man who, the only time he thinks of others is when it may benefit him. So genuine love is that which thinks of others without mercenary motives. And then we considered the description, and we said that it was, it was extensive, and we said it was assertive, divisive, and destructive. And then we began looking at what I've called the alterations, or how does that change, and how can we grow in humility as we ought so that we might love one another. And of course, a key text is Micah 6 and verse 8. And he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And we were just beginning to look at some of these steps to help us to walk humbly before our God. And the first one was we were to remember grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God... I am what I am. And so I want to set before you um, three or four, I'm not sure how many other steps, just briefly, that will help us to walk humbly before our God. So step number two is this. We need to die to self. As believers... We must daily die to self. We must die to the cravings of self-exaltation, self-promotion, self-reputation. Remember what Jesus said? If any man comes after me, what? He must deny himself. And take up the cross. A cross was an instrument of death. And, and Christ tells us as His disciples that we're to die to self and take up that cross every day. Every day we've got to die to self. If we're going to be patient, if we're going to be kind, if we're not going to be jealous, then it has to start with dying to self Every day. Colossians 3 and verse 5 says we must mortify, kill 
the deeds of the flesh. I don't know about you, but every morning when I wake up, there is that sense that I've got to start it again. Putting those things to death because they don't stay dead. They tend for some reason to rise up again. And so we must mortify the deeds of the flesh. We must every day come to the end of ourselves and setting a watch over our hearts and die to self. Step number three. We need to regard others as more important than ourselves. That is very contrary to nature. To consider others more important than we are. If you take your Bibles and turn over to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, a familiar passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 2. Paul speaking about his desire to see unity among the people. Verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same Spirit, Intent on one purpose. And then he says this. Do nothing from selfishness and empty conceit. Paul says to us here that these two realities are still around. Selfishness and empty conceit. And he says they're they're still there. They're not gone. But do nothing out of them. It is essential. That's what he's saying. It is absolutely essential. If there's going to be unity in the body, that you do not live your life out of selfishness or empty conceit. But notice what he says. Do nothing out of selfishness and empty conceit, but with humility of mind... What? Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Now there's a task. That's not a simple thing to do. For for us to look at other people and say, you know what? They're more important than me. And what I might find to be of interest isn't the main priority. I'm more concerned about them and what's good for them. I, I want to live my life. I mean, this is Paul's direction. This is not, this is my wish list, though I don't think it'll ever come true. This is Paul's direction to the church at Philippi and how they ought to live in humility. And that humility is demonstrated when you really consider others more important 
than yourself. And that doesn't come by nature. We are all selfish by nature, are we not? It's really, at the end of the day, left to myself, it's about me and what I like and what I want done and when I want it done. And, and we don't usually stop to consider, what about others? What, what's best for them? How, how will this better benefit them, though it may be an inconvenience for me? That's how we live in humanity. Not merely looking out for our own interests, but for the interests of others. I mean, I, found, I, thought, I really thought going through 1 Corinthians 13 would just be a simple task. Let's just love one another. Amen, let's go home. But as you begin to open up what genuine love looks like, what I thought would be a kumbaya moment as a church, we just love each other, has ended up being me before God saying, forgive me, because I have not loved as I ought. And really had a greater concern for others than I do for myself. Where do you see that? Where does anybody live like that? Well, it ought to happen in the church. And yet, now bless God, I'm not talking about us. I'm not bragging about you, but I'm not talking about us. But churches are filled with strife and tension. Because people want their own way. And they don't consider what might be better for others. It's more of a, this inconveniences me, so I don't like it. When it may benefit so many more. And that's not how we ought to live if we're to love. And so the question is, who does live like this? What, what, can, can you, I imagine somebody sitting in the church of Philippi saying, Hey, Paul, give us an example. And Paul says what? I'm glad you ask. Because let me give you an example. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's an example. And we'll get to more of that in a minute, but... He said, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. That is, he didn't think equality with God was something that wasn't really his. He is God. But yet, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You want an example, Paul says? There's an example. Jesus Christ, who gave his life in order that He might redeem a people who did not deserve it. And if ever there was a person who would say, this is an inconvenience. I'm going to have the wrath of God poured out upon me. For who? For the likes of these people? Are you kidding me? No, but He gladly went to the cross. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself because that's another point coming up, but there's your example. 
And so, if we're to grow in humility, then we need to regard others as more important than ourselves. The fourth thing I have down here is we need to live for the glory of God. We need to live for the glory of God. Our lives should be marked by giving Him the glory in all things. The psalmist says, and this should be our attitude in Psalm 118 and verse 23, these words, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes, and to Him be the glory. Yet last night, I, or yesterday evening, I did something that I've never done before, and I don't know that I'll ever do it again, but I performed a and officiated at a ceremony for someone's 45th wedding anniversary. And it was, this, this couple got married in a pastor's office 45 years ago. So they wanted to have, a, she wanted to walk down an aisle and all that stuff. And they didn't exchange vows. He said, I made the promise once and I haven't broken it. I'm not going to make it again. I'm going to keep the promise. But the whole purpose behind everything we did was and this is what they wanted this is God's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes and while it was quite glamorous and it was just a wonderful ceremony and the bride and groom <laughs> the bride and groom were in front of me in fact when she came down the aisle he grabbed her hands and they kissed and I said Apparently, no one told him he's supposed to wait for the kiss till after the service. All right. But immediately, they wanted me to make it clear to all those presents that what we're doing is celebrating God's grace and God's glory, and this is all of Him. And at the end, they even brought all their family, their kids and their grandkids up. And again, my pronouncement was this. I present to you... David and Janet, Charles, see the blessing of Almighty God. To God be the glory. Turn over to Jeremiah. It's another familiar passage, but a good reminder to us. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him that boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Again, you can boast, but we're told what you need to boast in. I know the Lord. And Yahweh is a great God. And He is all my boast. He has made all of this possible. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians, what is it, 1031? 
Whether the, you, 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 he's saying, even when it comes to doing the most simple things of life, taking a fork, putting it in your meat, putting it in your mouth, chewing it up and eating it, don't even take pride in that. Do it to the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Let men see your good works, not so they can pat you on the back and tell you well done, but that they may see your Father who is in heaven. That's our goal. So live to the glory of God. And fifthly, and I've touched on this a little bit, I already mentioned, but follow the example of Christ. Follow the example of Christ. You realize as you read the four gospel accounts, there is never a word of bragging that comes from his lips. In fact, he needs to be John the he needs John the Baptist to be a forerunner to prepare the way for his coming. He needs someone else to say, Behold, the Lamb of God. He says of himself that he is meek and lowly of heart. Do you know, one of the titles used in Scripture to reference Jesus Christ, perhaps more often than any other, is not King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is not the Son of God. You know what it is? The Son of Man. He's referred to as the Son of Man. It's a term of lowly hum- humility. It's a term of, of lowliness. It's a term that identifies him as being the lowliest in the base. And you and you know the other thing you recognize if you as you look at Christ's life, oftentimes when 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 he would do a miraculous thing, do you know what he did right afterwards? A lot of times, what do we do right afterwards? Hey, go tell everybody what I did. Go to your neighbors. Let them know what I did. No. How often did he say, don't tell anyone about this? When he healed the blind man, he said, let no one know about this. After he healed the man with the withered hand, he said, warn them not to tell anyone who I am. When he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, where His glory was displayed, He says, tell the vision to no one. Now, now granted, there were times when He said, I am the Son of God. He, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the Good Shepherd. But predominantly, when our Lord walked on this earth, He did so in a humble way. And in that, He's an example for each one of us to follow. 
Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He did not come to be... This is the King of... This is the very One who created the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of Lords. And yet He says, I did not come to be waited on. But I came to serve others. I I think there's some men and women in Washington, D.C. that might take a lesson. from this man, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Number six. Embrace your servanthood. Embrace your servanthood. Again, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. No. He says, let let them regard us in this matter as a servant of Christ. And, and And the word servant there refers to that slave. That slave who recognizes that that he has this master that he is accountable to. The slave never gets up and brags. The slave never gets up and says, wow, you know, I was up at 6 o'clock this morning and, and I fixed everyone breakfast and it was such a great breakfast and then I told the master, here's what you need to do today and I sort of set out... A... No, no, this he's a slave. He's a servant. And how we should all embrace that reality. In fact, remember what the Scripture says? Even if I did everything I'm supposed to do, if I was able to accomplish every task I'm supposed to, that I'm supposed to see through, even if I was able to do that, what did he say? Give me a pat on the back. I hope I get some more jewels in my crown when I get... No, he says, I'm still, I'm still just an unprofitable servant. That's who I am. This will help us to grow in our humility it is to recognize who we truly are. We are servants of the Most High God. And for some of us, we need to be willing to take the basin of water and a towel and be ready to wash filthy feet if we have the opportunity. If it glorifies my God, and, it, and it, if it advances His kingdom, and it demonstrates that the, the God that I worship is, is a great God, I'm willing to humble myself. Even though by nature I may say, well, 
I'm too good for this. Or as the saying goes now, that's below my pay grade. You know, I mean, I, you know, many times it's above my pay grade, but this is such a lowly task. That's that's not for me. Come on, I don't. That's, you know. So that if if an unwed mother comes into this place, who by the grace of God has said, you know what? I'm going to keep the baby. I don't know how we're going to get through this, and I don't know what that looks like. We're there to be of help and benefit. If someone walks off the street who is filthy and homeless, and they they heard, you know what, over at that Reformed Baptist Church, they have lunch. And you know what? I hear they have a bunch of good cooks over there. And I hear this week is traditional, which means everybody's bringing a main course. And they walk through here and they want to eat. And they sit down. And they may smell. But we'll deny ourselves. And, and, and set with them and seek to be a witness to them by our lives that we're not above anybody. You know what we are? We're just a bunch of sinners. Filthy sinners who have been saved by God's grace. And that's the big difference between who I am and who you are. And I want you to know my Savior. So I'll become your servant. That's a means that God will use to help. And then you become their friend. And then then it becomes time-consuming. That unwed mother needs to get to a doctor. That homeless man needs to have some help with regard to how to take care of his finances and and finding him a place of shelter. That takes time. But I'm willing to take the basin of water and the towel and get down and serve him. And that doesn't come by nature. Naturally, if, if next week we come into church and somebody pulls up in a Rolls Royce, and he's not even driving. His driver gets out and lets him out of the car, and he comes in here. Ah, well, greet him. So glad you're with us this morning. Glad, come, come and sit with me. We're going to eat afterwards. Stay. Uh, but will we have that same if the same person walks in who's an unwed mother or who is a homeless drug addict who smells? I know who I'll gravitate to. I will. I don't want to. May God help us to be servants and help those who are in need. So, the Word of God tells us love does not brag and it is not proud. 
We were reminded this morning about what God thinks of the proud. He tells us in James, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so may our love be marked by a real concern for others without mercenary motives, but for the glory of God. That's genuine love. And the news is there's even more. That's what I say every week when I sit at my desk. I'm thinking, man, there's more to this? I haven't done well already. Thank God for His grace, huh? Thank God that He forgives. There hasn't been a time I haven't been at my desk when I haven't said, Lord, forgive me. I've not loved as I ought. That, that He said, nope, not doing it. He's always willing to forgive. And I pray by God's grace, He will help me grow in this. Not to the point, if I ever get up in the Pope and said, hey, I made it. <laughs> I'm your humble pastor. Now, then you better say, well, okay, <laughs> bye, we're looking for somebody else. Because we've got to continue to grow. And, and that ugly weed of pride raises its head for me every day. And I've got to crush it and say no and die to self. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and the direction that we receive in that Word. Thank You that You've not left us alone, but that, Father, You, you have met with us, often exposed our sin, but how thankful that we have the promise that You're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess. And, Father, we pray that even as we consider this area of humility, that You would help us every day to grow. Help us every day to put to death our pride. And help us to be a people who lives for You. For me to live is Christ. May that be true with us. But we need Your help. We need Your Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that we might know of these things in days to come. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take your Trinity hymn books, the Trinity hymn book, and turn to number 400. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And again, it's a familiar hymn because we all know that last stanza. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Hymn number 400.